All right, let's pray. Let's, is this on? Is this on? Is this on? Can you hear me? Not on? Ah! <laughs> test, 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 test. Test, 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 hello, test, test, fantastic. Well, oh, there it came. <laughs> I literally was about to say, well, our mic doesn't work, and then the mic started working. Let us pray. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you send it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Uh, a couple quick reminders. Um, I sent you that email this week. Everybody get the email? Um, busy, busy week coming up. So tomorrow is Church, church Family Sunday, um, one service at 9.30, All Saints Day. Um, they, they got everything set up over here, like the timpani, and there's going to be a bunch of brass. I think like Barton's is playing brass. We, got, we have a, a lot. If, if any of you, by the way, are gifted musically in some way, are you playing brass too? Very, is, is, it, is, is uh, Paul coming out from the city too? No, Paul? This, On the trombone? On the trombone. Trombone? Wow. It's going to be great. So lots of great hymns on, the, on All Saints Day. The choirs are singing. So I encourage you guys, if you are musically gifted in some way, whether it be instrumentally or singing or both or whatever, to, to jump in, jump in on, the, on the choirs. That's tomorrow. And then we'll have 30 minutes of Bible study, hopefully. I don't know how long the service is going to go because the question mark is how long will communion take? It depends on how many people show up. And how slow our sacristans go. <laughs> you never know. So um, following, the, following the service, we'll have a time for fellowship. And I'm going to kind of read the crowd. So go in there and have, help yourself to some food and get to know some more folks. And then um, at a certain point, probably around 1130, I'll start. Uh, we'll ring the bell and I'll start our Bible study on what is heaven like. This lecture I try to do about once a year. Um, it's, it's always pretty well received. It usually takes me well over an hour and I got 30 minutes to do it. So <laughs> it can be the abridged version, but really we'll be able to talk about, it's, what, it's one of the topics I would have liked to cover in this class is why I mentioned it to you now. I just don't have enough time. Um, so uh, stick around for that if you can. Then, then this coming week, this coming uh, Friday is our wine and cheese meet and greet. So for you guys, we'll have... I think we've got like 65 people RSVP'd plus kids, so it's going to be a fun group there. All of our elders and their spouses and children and our, and our voters board, like the board heads and their spouses and children. And then um, I kind of, based on how I've gotten to know many of you, like trying to find people with some common interests and invite them to come as well. So we have some, plenty of people to talk to. And then on Saturday next week will be our last class. So if you have any lingering questions for me, uh, that would be a, a great time to bring it up. And then uh, Sunday will be our installation. 
So on the off chance that some of you aren't able to be here next week for me to kind of review things for you, don't panic. You're not gonna have to say anything that's not already written down. So you'll be reading your responses and you're, you won't have to face the congregation because a lot of people don't like to stand in, in front of people. I totally understand. So after the sermon, I'll invite you guys forward and you'll come up to the chancel up here and just kind of round it off, bring up your families if you got them. And um, you can even you can stand in the front if you'd like, but all around, all around the rail, spread out. Bring your bulletin with you because the responses are gonna be in the bulletin to what I ask. I guess we'll see if I can get if there's enough space in the bulletin. Otherwise, I'll, I'll instruct you to bring your hymnal up when you come. And there's that. Basically, we we actually went over this the first the first week of this class, if you recall, the the right of installation. Do you believe the Bible's God's word? Do you believe in the Catechism so far? Are you going to come to church? Um, and that that's basically it. And so you're giving you're basically saying I am in I'm in fellowship with what you guys are all believing. And then you're welcome in the congregation. And I say, go away, go back to your seats. And then uh, that's since it's the 11 o'clock service, the, uh, at 10 o'clock, so preceding this service, we'll have a special, um, a fe- a special time of fellowship. It, we're just getting a Costco cake that says congratulations on it. So if you can't make it, you can't make it. But do tr- uh, try to come uh, next, next week for fellowship time as well. Um, if Beth helps me remember, we'll give you like a name tag and... Um, People, people be drawn to you and ask you about yourself and stuff like that. All right, so for our class today, um, I didn't, who's in charge here? I didn't get a handout for myself. It's like three times I've forgotten something. No, that's, no, that's okay, I got plenty back here. Oh, we are out. How did that happen? Can, thank you. All right. How did that happen? I, I didn't print enough. So today what we're going to do is we're going to attempt to finish the Apostles' Creed regarding the work of the Holy Spirit and then get into the Lord's Prayer. I, we're going to have to finish the Lord's Prayer, so we're going to sprint with what time we have. Um, we've talked about within the Creed, confessing God as Father and Son, and now with the work of the Holy Spirit, um, which we can refer to as the silent member of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't talk um, you, although Jesus says we, we, you, you can, like the wind, you can kind of see it moving, but you can't, if you look outside, if there wasn't, pretend there were no trees and the wind was blowing, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell that the wind was blowing, right? So you don't see the wind blow. You see the wind blow stuff. So with the Holy Spirit, like you don't, you don't necessarily see it and you don't hear the wind. You hear the wind crashing into stuff. So the way, the way the wind creates certain like movements on existing structures creates the howling through the trees and stuff like that. So with the Holy Spirit, the, it does its thing and it moves us like trees in the wind. It's the Holy Spirit that brings about the faith of the Christian, brings about the, the sanctified Christian life. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself. He's a shy member of the Trinity, but wants to talk about Jesus so the Holy Spirit ultimately drives us to, to speak of Jesus. And the primary work of the Holy Spirit is, the, the word associated with the Holy Spirit there on your handout is sanctification. From the Latin sanct, so holy. Sanctuary, holy space. Someone asked me the other day, 
I can't remember if it was from this class or not, do we have holy water? And I mean, if you think about it, from the, from the, there's a lot of baggage in that because the Catholics have this, this more of a medicinal concept when it comes to holy water. Like you can take it and throw it at a vampire and it burns his skin or something. Like, like it does something on its own. Well, no, that's not the idea. The idea that it is holy water in the same way that this is a holy room, that the chancel is a holy space, that the altar is a holy space, that the chalice is a holy chalice. Holy simply means set apart by God for God. So we think about it like that. A baptismal font is simply, we don't go swimming in here on, on purpose. You know, so we don't, we don't use the chalice to serve Diet Coke to the youth group, right? Same with this, this room. Ideally, we're not using it for wind sprints when the, if the gym's crowded, we got multiple, hey guys, if we got multiple groups trying to use, this, use the gym, we don't have the volleyball team come in here for warm-ups. It's set apart for a specific purpose. And we try our best to, to retain that reverence in this space. But that's all, that's all holy means. Uh, co- coming up for tomorrow, All Saints Day, Saints comes from the Greek word for holy ones. So, and, and Paul refers to the church many times as dear saints at Colossae, dear saints at Rome. So he's, he's talking to the Christians in the church and he calls them saints. Now, there's a lot of baggage there with Roman Catholicism that's, that's saint, giving saint status to people according to their own merits. And we can recognize it to a point that there are people who are just exceptionally pious in their life and their Christian witness to the world, that they've given, they've given of themselves and their time. And I always think of like the, the classic, the quintessential pious Christian Grandma Schmidt. You know, she's always there. She's always baking the casserole. She's everywhere. She's always, she's always so sweet. She'll never say anything remotely mean about anyone. And so when, she, when that person dies, we're, it's, it's easier for us to say, that's Grandma Schmidt was a true saint. But the Lord would have us call also um, openly defiant, kind of gruff, rough around the edges, mean guy. Wait, I had a guy in my first church, what was his name? Uh, Henry. Uh, he, was a, he was in the military, really gruff guy. He had a cane like the whole time I was there and he would like point the cane and yell at people. <laughs> He's the kind of guy like, it's not good for inviting your children to church because they would like sit behind you guys and be like, keep your kid quiet in church. I'm like, Henry, go away. Like, you are not welcome here. They are, you know. So trying to calm this guy down, really gruff, rough around the edges guy. And when he died, we talked about him as a saint. Because our saint status is not dependent upon us, but about what Christ has done for us. So we're baptized into Christ. And our, our saintliness is granted to us by Christ alone. Our good, our, even our good works are tainted by our sin and selfishness. So that Christ purifies our best of works and takes away our bad and gives us his good and we are saints. So we are, in that sense, we are holy. You are holy. No matter what you're doing in your life, this is the Christian vocation. I usually save this for the last class, but I don't know if we're gonna get to it, so I'm gonna mention it now. Um, Sometimes if I were to say, could you rank for me the holy career paths? What are the... What are the prioritize them according to holiness? You, of course, would say pastor, uh, youth director, choir teacher in a day school, like all these kind of things, perhaps. 
Um, and then you would somehow, you know, humbly put your own vocation somewhere in the middle, just above the vocation of someone you don't like. <laughs> so, whatever. That, and that's just wrong. So the, the Christian vocation has us understanding that you are holy because of whose you are, not what you do. So God, God takes us up, and he has given us each individual skill sets. We are part of the body of Christ, but not everybody is the pinky toe. Somebody's got to be the elbow, the funny bone, and the knees, and all the stuff, right? So we all have our part to play, but we're all part of the body, and our holiness comes from the head. That's what keeps us going, right? So we each have our part to play, and our holiness comes from him, but then you know that no matter what I'm doing in this life, I know it is holy, insofar as it's not sinning. So there's obviously certain career paths would be unhelpful. Like basically any vocation that's put forth on breaking bad, a crystal meth dealer, prostitution. I mean, things like this are just obviously not God-pleasing vocations. But otherwise, God is working through us to serve our neighbor, even when we don't see the neighbor. And the picture, for, the picture I always think of here is um, before I started seminary, I graduated... I graduated, um, I guess, technically late. So I, I, I played football in college. I redshirted, if you know what that means. So I had an additional season. I graduated Christmas, and I had six months to kill before seminary started. So what do you do for six months? I went and got a job at Tinoco Automotive. They made mufflers, um, and there was a, they bent really long metal pipes to put them underneath things like school buses. So uh, one, of the, one of the tasks they put me on was running the small bender to, to make this pipe, make all these weird turns so they could click in under a school bus and run the exhaust from the front of the school bus out the back. And, uh, you know, you have to run it to all these specifications. And every, like, tenth part, you'd put it in a little checker, and you'd make sure it cleared all the variances. And if it touched anywhere, then it was scrap. And they're very heavy. And you'd have to scrap, you have this big pile of scrap in a basket next to where you're supposed to have stuff that's not scrap. And, and the whole factory would get bonuses according to the lack of scrap. So when you had a lot of scrap, people didn't like you. So you were motivated to, it's close enough, right? <laughs> Let's just pass it. So I remember there, I'm in like, like first or second month, I'm making this pipe, and it was like, this pipe was fine. Come on. It, it, it technically it was touching in a couple spots. And the guy next to me, it's like this older guy with a, he always had a toothpick in his mouth. He had his hat pulled down over his eyes. And he, he goes, you think that's good enough? I said, yeah. He said, you realize that's going on a school bus with children in it, right? I was like, yeah, that's a good point. So I had disconnected what I was doing from the people that I was serving. And what he reminded me of, and it's really stuck with me, is that what we're building mufflers for people we're building the, so very, very often we can get caught up in our widget making or whatever that is and be disconnected from the actual service. Sometimes the service, the, the people that we're helping directly, we might, we don't, we don't even see that we're helping them. And, and like basically most government jobs, <laughs> just kidding, maybe. Um, but you might, you might not see who, who, that you're bringing necessarily a benefit to your neighbor, but in that, in that case, your neighbor is, the people that you're getting money for. So they're putting roof over the head of your children, food, food, food on the table, um, be able to help your neighbor. 
So in all of that, we understand our, voca- our Christian vocation, that our, our status as holy before God, and that we are holy in whatever it is that we're doing. And then we don't need to quantify our lives. Like on Sunday, Sunday we're as holier because we go to church and do holy things. And then on, on Saturday, I cut the grass and go to the kids' soccer game and watch reruns of something. And that's less holy. Well, no, God gave you your family. He gave you your house and your lawn. So your service and your vocation as dad or mom or whatever is holy because you are holy, you see? So made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I got a few quotes there from you, but just to speed things along, there's a, there's a Luther quote in the big box on the top. This is from the, cate- the small catechism on the third article of the Apostles' Creed and arguably one of the best Luther quotes in the catechism. I believe that by my own reason or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. I believe that I cannot believe. I believe that I can't believe. That's our confession. This is profound. You don't don't really notice it maybe, but what we're saying is my confession is that I can't confess outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. If you come from like a Baptist tradition or you've seen certain like Baptist faiths where there's a big like sinner's prayer. In fact, every hotel you go to, there's a Gideon's Bible. Grab the Bible, flip to the back and you see the sinner's prayer there where you make a decision to accept Christ. So you pray to God and you invite Jesus into your heart. You confess your sinfulness, your desire to improve, your fear of hell and your hope of heaven and you invite Jesus to come into your heart. The problem is You don't pray to a Jesus that you don't already believe in, right? If you don't believe in God, you're not talking to him. So I'm not, I don't, I don't like to overly critique the sinner's prayer. There is, there are problems with it theologically. And and also I think the way it impacts a Christian life later, but frankly, they can't pray the prayer without already having faith. And so we can rejoice that, okay, It's sweet of you to think that you made a decision for Christ, but he gave you that decision. Because how did you know to pray to Christ if Christ himself hadn't talked to you through the word? Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10. So if I haven't heard what Jesus has done for me, how can I even believe it, right? That's why Paul says, how can they they call upon one in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes by hearing. Um, sanctification is the Lord's work of making us holy. The role of man in his own salvation there is we can't do anything. And that's troublesome. So think about this logically. Is salvation up to God or to you? Salvation's up to God. Because if it was up to me, not only would I mess it up, but then it wouldn't be a gift, right? The whole con- like Ephesians over and over again, salvation is a gift. The whole concept of grace and mercy, giving undeserved salvation. Yeah. So, can you reject that gift? So here's, the, here's where we start getting into the weeds. Oh, they're not weeds. It's because it's, it's a good logical question. And in fact, this is called the, 
the problem, you don't have a problem right now, but I'm about to give you a problem. And I'm not gonna give you much of a solution, so sorry. And you've probably thought about this before. So if salvation is fully a gift, and I am fully dead in my sins and transgressions, I am born sinful, right? Psalm 51.5, surely I'm sinful from birth from the time a mother conceived me. If I wasn't sinful from birth, babies wouldn't die. We'd stop spending so much money on all the kids' stuff, like making sure they're as safe as possible in the car seat. We don't need to buy them a car seat because they can't die. Yes, they can. That's why you buy them a car seat, right? So we know that we're sinners from birth, and sinners cannot choose God. We are, by, by, from create, from our own, like, birth, we are enemies of God, says Paul. I'm enemy, it's the opposite of God. I'm choosing the opposite of things. So the picture is not me in the water, flailing around, calling for help, and then God throws me a life preserver. But instead, I'm face down floating dead in the water. Jesus pulls me out and revives me. See the difference? So you can say in both situations, Jesus did the saving, but in the first example, you said, well, you still had to call. You still had to like yell for help. But you can't yell for help to somebody you don't already believe in. So faith is already given. So when you're actually, when you think you're flailing in the water calling for Jesus to help you, your faith has already been given, okay? Now, this brings up the crux theologorum, the, the, the theologian's cross. It's a, it's a big, scary word that means a big, scary thing. If, so salvation's a gift, all gift. We can't do anything to earn it, right? Uh, and those who, who don't believe in Jesus go to hell. But Jesus is the one who gives faith. So why does anybody go to hell? Why doesn't he just work faith in everybody? Right? So, that, so how you answer that question, it's a good question. How you answer that question will end you up in different Christian denominations. Denominations that I am not condemning to hell, but I am saying that we are different. Some are more biblically based than others. Like classically, Calvinism is a very logical church where they want to have, like engineers make great Calvinists and Lutherans, by the way, but like the, the idea of like everything's got to be in its right place and everything needs to be clean and make perfect sense. So the Calvinist says, well, if salvation's all I get from God, he does all the work and I'm completely depraved, depraved, total depravity, depraved. Um, Then God chooses those who are saved, but then the opposite also must be true because if he didn't choose to save them, then he chose to condemn them. So it's called double predestination. Some go to heaven, some go to hell. And Jesus makes that, God makes that decision before we're even created, okay? Which doesn't really, it's not, that, that picture is not there in the scriptures. Because the scriptures actually have the Lord speaking to people who don't yet believe. So there's this, there's an active role of the, the Lord's people, his church, the, the gospel spoken through Christians in the world that brings about faith. Now to be sure, God knew, God knows who's gonna ultimately be there because he's omniscient, he's all knowing. He's gonna know who's gonna be in heaven. But he doesn't have us think, worrying about that. He has us taking part in this joyful proclamation of the gospel. So then you say, well, what about the guy in Africa in some tiny island somewhere who doesn't, 
who hasn't heard of Jesus? Are they saved? Are they condemned? Well, my critique, my, my advice is always, well, first of all, if you know that there's a guy on an island in Africa who doesn't believe in Jesus, why are you here? Go tell him. Oh, you don't actually have someone in mind, do you? You've made this up. What about the guys on Mars? Pastor, do the guys on Mars go to hell, right? Well, they're, they're, find me a guy on Mars, and then we'll, just, then we'll deal with that issue. The idea is the church is to go and preach. God works out who, who is ultimately going to believe and who's not. And as we look at our Christian life, there's often times of seeming rejection. Like the prodigal son who wanders off. Right? We have plenty of examples, and all of you have, would have examples of those who are baptized into the faith and seemingly have wandered off. But I'm not going to make a judgment on their salvation, even if I'm there at their death, because I don't know what the Lord's doing in their hearts as they, it's like the, the, the guy who jumps off the cliff might repent on the way down. So I'm not going to I'm not going con- to bring condemn- condemnation on anyone. I am going to say what I can say about that person. So I often, I often when, I'm, when I'm asked to do funerals who people, for those who are not necessarily active in the church anymore, insofar as they're not openly, like, antagonistically atheists, they would, in which case they wouldn't have wanted this funeral. But for those where it's just like, yeah, the guy kind of just wandered off for a while, and then we don't know. I, I always ask the same question. Was he baptized? See, you see, Jesus fishes with a barbed hook, and it's hard to, it's hard to shake him. So we don't know. Like, I, I'm not going to make any judgments. I do know that the Holy Spirit works faith through the Lord's gifts, that he's the one who sustains faith, that he brings people full turnabout. Like, for example, Paul, formerly Saul, becomes one of the biggest voices of the gospel in the church. And he was rejecting the gospel, and he would have kept rejecting it had God not like intervened and turned him. So that even, so my rejection, my, my condemnation, me, a person dying in unbelief and going to eternal judgment is always the person's responsibility. So that to your, to your question, like if a person is not saved, that's my fault. If a person is saved, it's God's credit. God's fault, which is logically inconsistent, but it's biblical. And that's where we, the Lutheran move in that, where, where I said how you answered the crux the allegorum puts you in a different church body. The Lutheran move is in this instance to let the paradox stand. Two, two simultaneous statements that seem contradictory, we let it stand because that's what the Bible indicates. If I try to say, well, God condemns some and saves others, double predestination on one side. On the other side is, I'm a free agent in this, and I'm, and I'm choosing which door to enter. I'm, I get to pick the car that I'm buying. So my, my sinfulness is not fully, has not fully condemned me, because my, some of my faculties are still intact enough to choose. Where the Lutheran is saying, no, I can't choose. It's got to be all a gift by the Holy Spirit, through the Word. Well, why, why are some saved and not others? That's the crux of the I don't know. I don't know why God, in his, in his wisdom, doesn't just turn everyone to faith. I'm not given to worry about that. 
Our job is to preach faithfully, and it's a fun task. And that, that also sets us at ease in the, evan the evangelism missions process. Because now I know that my job is to simply proclaim the gospel, and the Lord does the work. So for some, like Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. So I'll be having like a, I'll talk to some people, depending on like the, the, the setting, and you'll have, you'll have somebody who like will turn. Well, the, a good example would be like I was, when I was in Colorado, we like a party with my, the guys I worked out with, and somebody got me talking theology, which that's the only thing I want to talk about, right? So I got, I was going. And um, later, someone else comes to me, like she saw me in the hospital, a very small town, and she was like, I heard you at that party, and you're like, I've never seen someone spoke with, speak with such conviction about, about the gospel. Can you tell me more? Like, like no, I'm busy. <laughs> like, isn't that awesome? Like, that's, so I, there, I, a lot of people were there. Many of them were arguing with me. Like, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun encounter. But like, there are some who are like drawn to this, and we don't know, we don't know why. Uh, and also the picture of the fisherman is not, so when Jesus makes the disciples to be fishers of men, he doesn't use, he doesn't use like a spinnerbait that masquerades as a, as, a, as a minnow to bait and switch you. He throws the net. It's noisy, it makes a big splash, but it grabs whoever's there. So we're, we're simply proclaiming the gospel, spreading the net. So we're faithful in the, in the proclamation there, and the Lord works out the rest. And everybody's at a different pace. So some, just the lights don't go off until later in life for whatever reason. Sometimes it takes mom, mom who prayed her whole life for her kid to come back to the church. She's never gonna see him come back because maybe he might not come back, but maybe it takes her death to get the guy back in church. And he starts thinking, wait a second, I'm gonna die too. Then what? and starts asking questions that he didn't have before. So that's where the Lord is able to work through even the worst of things to bring about good, even death itself, working through that to bring about good. Um, in the creed, if, you'll, if you recall in the Apostles' Creed, like we can see it in your hymnal, it's in the back, uh, in the back of the hymnal, both the Apostles' Creed and the, and the Nicene Creed, um, especially in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The descriptions of the Apostles' Creed are fun. Or, sorry, the, the descriptions of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed. So we look at the Apostles' Creed in the very back cover of the hymnal. It says, the third article, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And how is the Holy Spirit de described? Give me a, what's the picture? It's not described. But what is? The church. And in that sense, the Holy Spirit is described. The work of the Holy Spirit is taking place in the church, not a building. You gotta disassociate the brick and mortar, sheetrock, whatever we have here, <laughs> from the church. The church is wherever Jesus is giving out his gifts. Remember, he won it on the cross. He delivers it wherever he wants it delivered. And wherever those gifts are being delivered, that's where you find the church. Outside, inside, in a village, wherever it is. And the conversation, conversation at Starbucks, 
where the gospel is being proclaimed, that's that we, we can locate the church there in some way. Now, from a convenient organizational, practical sense, it's nice to have a building, you know, like the air conditioning, microphones, and all that, but that's obviously not necessary. So it's not that you have to be in this building to receive the forgiveness of sins. That's thinking about it backwards. It's wherever Jesus is giving the forgiveness of sins out, there you find the church. Got here? Oh, you're getting sunburned? Yeah, you got to bring SPF 50 sometimes to Bethany. Um, so, the, so the work of the Holy Spirit then is in our Lutheran Confessions, which is a really thick book that, that like, I guess I've, I've never mentioned those to you before. The Lutheran Confessions are going back to the Reformation era, all the works that confess the gospel and then apply it to a lot of various growing heresies in the church, just like the creeds. The creeds were fashioned in the face of false teaching on who Jesus is. The confessions of the church are put together in response to false teachings regarding things like, free, the, is my will free or is it bound? Can I choose Jesus or not? Is it double predestination? How do we handle, how do we think about the doctrine of election is what that's called. Um, is a Christian supposed to not be involved in the, in the government or in, in war like the Amish? Or can I be involved? And in what sense am I involved? So the two kingdoms theology, working all that. So that's all. It's a great read. And if, if you haven't had a chance to see the confessions, you can, there's a bunch in the conference room down the hallway. You can take one with you. Um, why did I mention the confessions? Yeah. I don't know. Who cares? Yeah, so the Holy Spirit is the Holy... Oh, yeah. So in the Confession, it talks about the church is located wherever the Word and sac... Wherever the Word... Where the church is found, wherever the Word is preached and the sacraments are administered according to Christ's institution. That's where you know where the church is. So, like, you know when you go to Starbucks, you're not going to church. Not because they're not singing hymns. Not because the people aren't wearing the right stuff. It's because the gospel isn't being proclaimed there. That's how you know where, the, where to find the church. And, and then also then, that's how you know where the Holy Spirit is. So the work of the Holy Spirit, so my, my um, certainty that the Holy Spirit is working, it's not dependent upon my emotions. Because the Lord has never promised that my emotions would respond. Now very often the emotions do respond. Like tomorrow, I'm not going to be able to get through for all the saints. I start thinking of Dave, my buddy who died last year, and my grandma, and like all this stuff, it kind of hits me. And then I got to step into the pulpit and preach. Like, get it together. Oh. Uh, so, so it definitely tugs on the emotions in some way, but that doesn't mean that when, I, when I'm not having any kind of emotional response because I'm distracted by all the dead flies on the floor and the acolyte can't stop picking his nose on the live stream and... Uh, whatever, my, kid, I, my, my kids are running around the back and I can see them, I'm like, stop, Everly, stop it. Like, all these distractions and I, and the Holy Spirit's not working. Yes, it is because the Holy Spirit's not dependent on my emotions. The Holy Spirit's working where the word is being proclaimed. So, pastor, I didn't feel like I got anything out of church today. Fine. I don't care about your feelings. Did Jesus give you anything today or not? Because very often, have you ever, have you ever like had a headache and you take Tylenol and it doesn't go away right away? Now, in a sense, it kind of does. 
there's a psychological aspect to it where even though you haven't, it hasn't gotten into your bloodstream yet, just knowing that I've taken the Tylenol, I start feeling better. So there's that, there's that to it in the feelings, but the fact is your headache's not, like, your headache's not gone just because you took the Tylenol, right? So in, in, the, in the same way, the Holy Spirit is giving his gifts to you even if you don't feel like it, right? So, did, so rip, take your feelings out of the equation, and, and, but also know that, I mean, feelings are good, God gives it to us, but don't, we're just not looking to them for certainty because our feelings can be fickle. As Ebenezer Scrooge taught us, it can be manipulated by a spice of, was it, piece of meat, undigested, a bit of undigested beef. Is that the, is that the phrase? A spot of mustard. I only know the um, Muppets version, so I'm limited <laughs> in my Scrooge quotes. <laughs> um, all right. That's good. I think that's good enough. How do, yeah, I think I've covered all the, all the windows there. Maybe, maybe John 20. I think it's good to look at. Um, so uh, Acts 2 and the, and the first Pentecost, where Paul, uh, Peter preaches famously the, his Pentecost sermon, and thousands are brought to faith. They receive the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word, and thousands are brought to faith. Other times, he'll go somewhere else and preach the same sermon, and he's chased out of town with pitchforks. So it's not up to him. His job is to be faithful and God works in his way. Jonah walks into Nineveh and says, reluctantly, and, and in a way that he kind of hopes, he wanted to be faithful to God because otherwise he's going to put him in another fish belly. But he didn't really want the Nineveh to be saved. So he's like, repent. What was that? Repent. And the entire Nineveh repents. Other cases, you get like Isaiah Speaking to Israel, who wasn't pagan like Nineveh, he's being very clear about God's word of law and gospel. And they're like, nah, throw, his, throw Jeremiah in a pit. Saw him in half. We don't, need to, we don't need this nonsense. So sometimes the voice is heard and sometimes not. So we can't, um, we, we're not in control of that. The Lord has just set us to be faithful. Um, and, then, and on the first um, so that's, that's Pentecost. And then John 20, one of the, this is my, the first Easter um, evening uh, when Jesus appears in the locked room. He shows up to the apostles, shows him his hands in his side, says, peace be with you. But he doesn't just say, peace be with you. That is, stop being frantic and running around scared. But he says, peace be with you. And he shows him his hands and his side. That is, peace be with you. Anything that you're possibly scared of right now, I've taken care of it. Nothing can ultimately hurt you. You're fine. Be at peace. Then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever's sins you forgive, they are forgiven. So this, this interesting thing, the breath of God is carrying with it the Holy Spirit. And keep in mind, in a way, like hum, humans themselves are formed in the dirt, but then it's just a pile of dirt until what? He gives, the, he gives the dirt mouth to mouth and it comes alive. So the breath of God is actually activating humanity in a way. So the Holy Spirit is, this, is part, of, part of what's going on in us. But, um, so he says, receive the Holy Spirit and, then, and attaches to it, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. So he, the office of the ministry, the certainty for the sinner that when the pastor speaks, I forgive you all of your sins, the sins are actually forgiven because the Holy Spirit's been promised to be there in that voice, in spite of the man. We cover up the man, he's irrelevant. 
So is, is the voice proclaiming the gospel or not? Good. That's the Holy Spirit. Any quick questions on the Holy Spirit? Got to cover some ground. 19 minutes. All right. Uh, Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to kind of do, I, 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 pr- I intentionally uh, printed a ton out in here so you can take this out and read it for yourself. Um, I'll do the abridged version. And you, oh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, Luther famously says, in the Lord's Prayer, it's not that like, it's not that we're, we're asking God to do all these things that he's not going to otherwise do. Like if you don't pray for daily bread, then you're not going to get daily bread. Well, that's not true. Pagans eat all the time. They didn't pray. They don't even acknowledge God. That's the difference for the Christian. So our prayer is not that, that God's waiting on us to give us what we need. But in many ways, our prayer is so that we would be taught to spread our, spread our apron wide, is what Luther says. So we're, we're taught all these blessings that are, that are falling down. I always think of the kid like at a parade with a giant bed sheet trying to catch as much candy as possible because he can't get enough with his hands. So the picture of, 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 be, of recognizing all the different ways that the Lord is blessing me and showering his gifts upon me that I don't even think about. The Lord's Prayer forces us out of the things that we're maybe most immediately aware of and gives us more things to pray for, to think about, to be thankful for. Um, let's flip over to, I mean, so, so I've got a bunch of Bible quotes there. Um, Luke 11, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is, even pagans, the pagan parents take care of their kids. So you've got a loving father who actually loves you and cares for you and knows what's best for you. Don't you think he's going to take care of you? If, if, even, if even Hitler is taking care of his, buying his wife some flowers every now and then, I don't know. I have no idea what Hitler did. But like, if that's happening, then surely God is going to take care of his own. But here's, the, here's a, such a helpful thing. In fact, it's, it's when it starts with, um, the introduction, our Father, if you flip over to page three, for God to be our Father is, is helpful because when, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying to our Father and we're asking Him for, let's say, a billion dollars. God, please give me a billion dollars. Uh, give, me, give me whatever the particular thing I'm praying to for, and I don't get it. Good. That's what it's like for a child to ask a parent things. Like to this day, I get a kid every now and then asking, Dad, can we have like the leftover cake from last night? Can we have it for breakfast? To which I say, I would be okay with it, but your mom would say no. So (laughs) make her the bad guy. No, no, you say no, right? Because it's not good for her, right? It sets them up for failure for the day. So what the child wants and can't understand even because sometimes, sometimes the kid will ask, so uh, we'll be out walking in downtown Naperville and we've got time, like maybe it's early, we had an early dinner and we're just like looking at like decorations or something in Naperville and, and then Everly will say something like, Dad, can we get some, some uh, ice cream? And I look at Mandy and she like gives me the nod and we're like, let's go get ice cream because I wanted to spend $75 on some ice cream cones today. So we go get some ice cream. But then like, why is it that like the next, the next day, at like nine o'clock at night, and then we let him stay up too late already. And then she asked, Dad, can I have some ice cream? And then I say, no. She, 
I can't expect her, especially when she's younger, like three or something, I can't expect her to differentiate the circumstances. All she knows is, I love my dad, I trust my dad, I ask my dad for things and he gives it to me. Um, what we're trying to teach them is that I actually know what's best for you. I understand you don't understand why sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no, but I know what you need and when you need it. That is what we recognize in the Lord's Prayer every time we pray it, when we say, thy will be done. We're recognizing God as our loving Father who's going to take care of me, even if that means, it's the hardest thing ever, even if that means letting me have the cancer unto death. That's the hardest one. Because how could a loving father, I mean, I would do anything I possibly could to, to take that away from my child, right? So I think, why doesn't God do the same for me? Because he knows better than me. He doesn't love in the way that I do. And even death itself, he solved the problem. He's not trying to perpetuate my life in this earth by continuing, like, the picture, I always get the picture of Jesus like setting up one of those COVID testing tents back in the early days when you could pull into this like weird thing and then they test you or whatever. So he sets that up, but he's just sitting in there like a drive-through window with his hand out and you could drive through every time you get a cold and give him a high five and, he, and you're cured. And you could just sustain your earthly life indefinitely. That's what we actually want. We want that. We want earthly experience forever. And we think, God, if God doesn't take away on my demand, give me health and what I want when I want it, then maybe he doesn't love me or he's not God. Well, no, he's not trying to perpetuate this life. He solved this problem of all the sin that we face in this world with his death. And now we have the anticipation of everlasting life. So that way he, he can transform even death itself. He has transformed even death itself to eternal life, right? Um, so fathers, so I, uh, fathers are given to learn what a father is by looking at God. So especially in circumstances where father has been absent or negligent, um, sinful in some great grievous way. So, so there'll, there'll be children who despise their father. And so when you call God the father, they think abuse. So we want to say, no, no, God, from God is where the father is given to learn what a father should be doing. And also, we see our weaknesses and failures as fathers. But ultimately, the picture of what love and provision are come from him. Hallowed be thy name. God's name is holy in itself, but we pray that it would be kept holy among us also. And his name is kept holy when we lead a, a holy life. So remember, God put his name upon us. God's name is more than just letters attached to his person, but his name actually carries with it his presence. Remember, that's what it means for us to, that's what we begin the service in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Not because you got to start somewhere and let us begin seems kind of weird. So we're going to say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What? Because that's God's name and wherever his name is, he is. And if we're, we're in his house, we might as well invite him to, to come and play too, right? So that's the idea. We bring his name and his, his presence is there with us. Um... And then also, though, as a Christian, since I bear his name, it's like when we send the kids from Bethany and they have like some tournament where right now our boys are in like the state championship for volleyball and they're undefeated, so it's pretty fun. Um, so they have all their jerseys on and they go, they go out to, let's say, Culver's for dinner after the game. And then they're all wearing their Bethany 
clothes, their Bethany volleyball uniforms, and then they go in and they just trash the place, vandalize the place. So not only does it look bad for them, it looks bad for those whom, whose name they bear. You. You're part of Bethany, right? So we, the name actually brings with it the shame upon those who have given us the name. So, um, and also if the kids got their, their own last name on the back of it, right? So you bring a name to your family's name and also to the church name. So we're in our sin then, we see how we're bringing a, a shame to God's name in our sinfulness. Uh, God's kingdom comes by itself without our prayer, but we pray that it would come among us. God's kingdom comes. How, how does God's kingdom come? His com- he, it comes when our heavenly father gives us his Holy Spirit. So by his grace, we believe his word and lead godly lives. So God's kingdom is wherever the Holy Spirit's bringing faith. Uh, Flip over there, page four. The kingdom of God uh, is the forgiveness of sins, the flesh and blood of Christ. This is a helpful statement. So I think kingdom of God is future heaven, distant reality. No, the kingdom is wherever the king is. It's a true statement for like medieval times where you get like, a king doesn't come out of his castle. I mean, think it's chess. Chess is based on this premise. You're, you're sacrificing everything to protect the king because if the king goes down, you lose. So you don't bring the king out in chess or in actual medieval fights. You don't bring the king out unless it's really safe, right? So once the king comes out and marches into enemy territory, it's because we've now expanded the kingdom and we've taken over the enemy territory, right? So wherever the king is, the kingdom expands. So when Jesus is with us, the kingdom is with us. Where Christ is proclaimed, the kingdom is present. So God's kingdom is wherever he is and to be under his kingship is to be provided for, protected, cared for, right? Third petition, thy will be done. Um, I mentioned that earlier, so God's, God's promise to work things out for our good. So God's, so here, what does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done. Whether or not you're gonna pray for it, he's not waiting on you to do what he wants to do. But we pray this petition really to remind ourselves what his will is. And his will is not that you should wear the white shoes today instead of the brown shoes today, or wear the jeans today instead of the khakis today. So what, what is God's will for my life? Should I be a... A lawyer or sell insurance, or should I A or B, right? What's God's will for my life? He doesn't go down those roads because you're holy no matter what you're doing. His will for your life is that you go to heaven. And then until that day comes, that you serve him with joy as you serve your neighbor in this life. So God's will is that he breaks and hinders every plan of the devil and the world and our own sinful flesh to try to drive us to hell. So his primary concern for us is that we go to heaven. Which is why when someone asks me, Pastor, should I take this job uh, in Podunkville, Wyoming? Which is most of Wyoming from what I understand. And like, well, the, and I say like, well, what's the closest Lutheran church? Uh, it'd be like two hours away. Well, why do you want to take the job? It's good pay, it's a great opportunity. But, so you, but you're choosing to go to a place where it's intentionally far away from the proclamation of God's word. So you're prioritizing their money to the detriment of your ongoing faith. Because this is a fact. The fact of the matter is, 
If you live 45 minutes away from here, which some of you might, <laughs> uh, midweek services, like Advent, Lent, uh, if it's snowing, uh, it gets a little bit harder to come and be a part of the community, right? So, but our members do it. You guys are here. Like, you make the trip. You make the trek, right? But at a certain point, hour and a half, are you going to really do that when push comes to shove? And then you have some kids, and they get, they get involved in soccer, and we can't go. And next thing you know, you look up. It's been five years. But don't worry, Pastor. We'll get back to church when they're in high school. They're already going to be gone, buddy. It's too late. you got to keep them in all the way through. But i got so much money now, and I can pay for their college. So, so go ahead and just buy an idol and put that college jersey on it because that's what you've bought, right? I mean, that's a crass way to put it, but I, and I understand there's lots of exceptions and everything there, but the, the focus here is God's will. He's not interested in what I'm gonna do with my life. He's given me gifts and wants me to use those gifts with joy, and he puts us in different circumstances. He's given us what we have um, and what we don't have. And, he, and we know that he's working through us, whatever we're doing, but his primary will is not whether or not I choose door number one or door number two. It's that I will be kept in the faith. That's his priority. Five-minute warning. Thank you. Um, daily bread. Oh, one of my favorites. I got the supply chain on. I thought that was timely. I wanted to picture the supply chain on page five. <laughs> daily bread includes... So God gives daily bread to everybody even all evil people, even without our prayer. People eat all the time. The difference is we pray to give, to recognize it comes from him. So I, I say this joke all the time to the kids. It's not like if you go to a restaurant and you start eating without saying a prayer, it's not like your face melts off like Indiana Jones. You know, he chose poorly. <laughs> but no, that's not the case. When we pray, we're recognizing that all this, we're not dogs who just dig in, but we can actually hold off and say, wait a second, this, this is a gift to me. And not just this sandwich, but everything that went into this sandwich. So that's where the whole supply chain comes in. I, I, in Colorado, I had a guy in my church that drove the salt trucks down the windy mountain paths. So I'd always use this as an opportunity to, we're thankful for the snow trucks. Because without the snow trucks, we're not getting food at the grocery store up here. We need everybody in the whole chain, even people who seem so disconnected. My personal favorite is the military because I can't, I can't cut through my steak with a knife and a fork if I have to hold an M16 in a hand to protect my family from bad guys. So I need to be able to put the M16 down knowing that somebody else is gonna be shooting it for me. And I, so the military, Luther even said, the military coat of arms would, should have not like a lion on it, but it should have a loaf of bread because that's what they're fighting to give, to protect and to expand. So we pray for everything necessary in our daily bread. Fifth petition, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So he teaches us to forgive just as we have been forgiven, especially our enemies. So it's good law for us so when, when we say, I'm not going to forgive that person, then I just bring it up as a question. People always want a ruling from me. So, Pastor, if I, are you saying that if I don't forgive, then Jesus is going to forgive me? I'm like saying, I, I say, I, I didn't say that. He did. Right? But really, though, Pastor, is he really not going to forgive because I don't forgive? Like, what's the... 
we're forgetting the rhetorical impact of what Jesus is doing. Obviously, we have a problem forgiving others. That's why he has to tell us to do it, and that's why he attaches such a fierce attachment to it. That if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive. And so, oh man, I should probably forgive better than I do. That's the idea. To be driving us to recognize if, if I can't forgive that person for this small thing, relatively small thing, why can I expect him to forgive me for everything that I've done that's so grievous? Right? So it has me constantly checking my inability to forgive him. Um, so the Christian life then is, the last question on page six, the Christian life is marked by forgiveness. We have a Lord who comes to us in weakness and sets us in weakness and lowliness toward one another. When I say to you, I'm sorry, that is putting myself, making myself vulnerable to you because I'm putting it out there for you to, to hurt me or not. It's the kneeling before the king to cut my head off. So I'm sorry. It's in your court now. You don't like to say, I forgive you. You prefer to say, no problem, don't worry about it. Because for you to say, I forgive you, you have to acknowledge that I've actually hurt you, which means you're not invincible. We usually just say, no problem, don't worry about it, because that's just what we've come to say at this point. But behind it is really, we don't like admitting that we're hurtable. So we say, don't worry about it. We don't mean don't worry about it, because if they did it again, you'd be worried about it. Right? So what we mean is, I forgive you, but when we forgive, we're, we're admitting vulnerability, weakness. And when we ask for forgiveness, so that, but that's the conversation of the Christian because that's what our God does. He comes to us, and what's the main thing that he does? Self-sacrifice. That's the way that he saves, and that's how he sets us to live toward one another. Um, lead us away from temptation. That We, he, we pray that he lead it, not lead us uh, he lead us toward holy things and turn us from unholy things. So the Christian life could be, you could simplify it and say, what's the Christian life? Touch holy things, don't touch unholy things. Simple enough. Because <laughs> um, unholy things are actually turning us away from him, leading us into unbelief, despair, so forth. Through holy things, he's strengthening our faith. What are holy things? Well, obviously things that are set apart by God for God to forgive our sins, primarily his word. So don't, that means don't get on the computer and, and do things that you shouldn't be doing. Well, is it holy for me to get on Amazon and buy a pair of shoes? Yeah, because remember I talked about your holiness earlier it has to do with anything that you do in your life because you are holy. See? Except for outside of sin. It's, it, so it's fine. Get on there and buy your shoes. Don't get on there and scroll for porn sites. Right? You know that's unholy, and that invites the devil in. Seventh commandment, or seventh petition, deliver us from evil. We pray in summary that he lead us, rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and take us from this valley of sorrow, Psalm 23, out of the valley of shadow of death and lead us to himself in heaven. So we constantly in, in prayer that we be delivered from this. And there's the valley of evil on the next page there, the valley of the shadow of death. So we're, to be in the valley is to be surrounded by evil on all sides. But like what's created, so we're in the valley. So in a valley, it's in the, sh- it's in, you gotta go, I know, you need to take off. Uh, you're, in the sh- you're in shade because the mountain is blocked, blocking the sun. So what's creating the shade is the mountain. 
So the mountain in this case would be the evil thing. So the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of darkness. So the, the mountain's creating the darkness. So that's the evil thing. But we walk in the valley as those who are not alone, but are those who, who bear the name of Christ and he is with us. And then last, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory is not part of the Lord's prayer in the Bible. It's simply um, an addition later on, but it's not wrong. It's, it, in that sense, it's creedal. The, the church confesses it, not Catholics, which is so if you ever go to a Catholic church, you gotta be on your guard because you'll be like, for thine is, no one else is talking. Um, it works better for them when Catholics visit us, they stop and no one notices. It works worse for us. Um, but it doesn't mean anything because we're not, we're not adding theology to God. We're simply confessing what he has already said, that, that his is the eternal kingdom. There we go. That's the whole Lord's Prayer. I did it. So next, next week, um, for our final class, we'll hit the Lord's Supper. Oh, I've been talking about it. I, I talked about it at length in Bible class. But one of the main things I'm getting at is uh, what does it mean to discern the body when Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10? Discern, because if you want to eat and drink, to your judgment in the Lord's Supper, then you wanna eat and drink in an unworthy manner. So what does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? How can I be worthy before God? Because I'd, I'd rather not be condemned. So how do I you know, make sure that's gonna take place? So we'll talk, we'll talk about that next week. Any, any questions? Now that we're four minutes past. Stick around if you got questions. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks, y'all.